This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. So let me pray for us before. You can page there, you can go on in your, your app, um, Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 17. But let me pray for us. The Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word that is inspired, Lord, that you inspired Mark, the writer of this letter, to give an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And Lord, we've been in the season where we want to know Jesus, we want to be followers of Jesus, we want to be disciples, we make disciples, and Lord, I pray that as we look at this encounter that Jesus has, um, the questions he's asked and the way he handles very, very important matters, Lord, that we would be conformed to you, Holy Spirit, be conformed to your spirit and your presence more, and Holy Spirit, that you speak to us, Holy Spirit, empower me even as I share in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So it reads, And they sent to him those of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. It is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness or image and inscription is this? They said, Well, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled. Other translations say that they were amazed. And this has been our series. We've been looking at the fact that Jesus, when people come to him with scenarios or, or, or questions or there's moments that happen, they always find themselves amazed. They're not perplexed by him. They're not confused. They are amazed. They're like thinking, who is this man who calms storms, who feeds multitudes, who brings faith, who heals the sick, who ushers in the kingdom of God? And so his questioners are coming to him, and, and you need to see the, the difference, sort of the, the guys that are coming to him. The first group is the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were a political, well, not, they, they had, their whole emphasis was really wanting to see how can they um, promote theological ends. Like everything in life has an, a theological point, and so how can we promote this particular thing? But then these other guys came to him, which were the Herodians, and what happened to them is that they were wanting to be friendly with the Roman government, and they were wanting to actually look for ways in which they could work with this government in order to um, you know, gain access. And so now they're coming to Jesus, wanting to trap him, because they are asking him, Jesus, if, should, it, should we pay taxes? Should we show our allegiance to Caesar? The Herodians are saying, yes, we should do that. Or should we show our allegiance to God. The Pharisees are saying that's what we should do. So, so Jesus realizes that they wanted to trap him in this question. And there's, there's a, 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 a profound thing that I want us to see today is that Jesus, in his answer and how he deals with them, is absolutely revolutionary. Now, in the political sense, and certainly in our country and all over the world, there's often talk of revolution. You know, we want to revolt. We want to bring change. The only way we're going to bring change is what? 
someone needs to topple the powers that be in order so that we can promote the things that we, are, we really feel are we're important. Some things that we really value. And there is a constant tug of war happening. And now these Pharisees and Herodians are coming to Jesus. So Jesus, which one is right? Which camp do you belong to? And Jesus basically does three things. He speaks three things. He, 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 there's, there's a revolutionary question that takes place in this passage. There's a revolutionary answer that he gives. But there's also a revolutionary revolution. And I will get into a little bit more of that. So the first one is the revolutionary question. This question that they're asking is, is it lawful for them to pay taxes? Now what we think is that the taxes that they're talking about, about is like VAT. Our 15% that goes off your bread and everything. That's taxes to the government and they use it to, to pay for whatever government needs to do. Services and all of those types of things. This is not the type of tax that they're talking about here. This is called the head tax. Now what had happened is, Caesar at one point made a decree that said that each and every citizen of Rome, every empire, every place that they would conquer, one of the rules or one of the ways that you, if you wanted to live there and in a sense be a citizen of Rome, is that you had to pledge allegiance to Rome by doing one very simple thing. Pay a denarii. One coin which was worth one day's wages for a peasant. And, and as you pay this, it's basically a tribute. You're saying, Caesar is my king. It's not so much, but Caesar is my king. But now it's interesting to see that 25 years before this moment with Jesus, there was another man from Galilee by the name of Judas, who actually led a revolt against this particular tax. Judas the Galilean came together and, and he did three things. The first thing he did is he told the Jewish people, listen, revolt against this tax. This tax, we will not pay it. Have you, have you gotten some of those legislation emails that come your way? And someone is saying, no, we will not. We will not do this. The, the, the politics and the government, they're not gonna, we're not going to stand for it. We're taking a stand. So that's what he did. He said, we're taking a stand. We're not paying this tax. The second thing he did is he, he actually got a, an armed band together, and he cleansed the temple. He went into the temple and chucked out everybody that was a Gentile or a Roman, anybody that wasn't a Jew, and removed them from the temple because he wanted to set apart the people of Israel. That was his kind of aim. And the third thing he did was he came and he said, we don't want Caesar as our king, God is our king. We don't want an earthly kingdom, we want a heavenly kingdom. Isn't this very interesting? If we look at the parallel of Jesus, didn't Jesus, just a few, I think it's a chapter before, he enters into the, the um, temple, chapter 11, verse 15, Jesus cleanses the temple. You, you looked at that in your life groups this last week. Jesus also comes in and he is, what is he speaking of? Is he speaking about, you know, taking on his own kingdom? Is he talking about social justice issues? Is he, is he just simply going around healing people? No, what is he doing? First and foremost, the, the number one agenda in Jesus' life, the message that he brings is what? The kingdom of God. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, they are, they are aware of the 25 years ago, there was this Judas guy who brought, led a revolution. And now they're thinking, hey, wait a minute, Jesus is doing all the things that Judas did. He must 
he must have the same agenda as what Judas had. And this is a profound, profound reality, friends. This tax that they had was very unpopular. And they were wanting to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, just like his disciples many, many times, continuously try to ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel? Are you going to set us free from these terrible, oppressive Roman, um, you know, people that are, that, are, that are, you know, making us suffer so much? Jesus' answer is actually that he, he doesn't play the same game. He answers their questions and he deals with them, but he does it in a very, very different way. Their call for revolution and the kingdom of God coming is very different to the call that Jesus makes. Because in Jesus, in Luke chapter um, 4, verse 18 to 19, it says that Jesus speaks up. He gets up in the temple and he reads from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. He quotes this. He says, um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has chosen me as his chosen vessel to bring about transformation, to do what? Proclaim good news for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, liberty for those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Anybody want the year of the Lord's favor in your life? Any one of us want to be set free from our circumstances? Any one of us need to be liberated from our circumstances? Jesus says, I've come to do that, but I've come to do it in a very different way. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to see how this would unfold. So you see people, the people were simply asking for a yes or no answer. And I don't know if, if you were looking at, a, if they were asking a, a, a politician this question, how would a politician answer a question like this? He realizes it's a trap, it's this way or that way, and what do they do? What do politicians do? They dance around the question. They talk about all sorts of stuff for very long, but then you're like, I get so frustrated, man, just get to the point. Just, just tell me, are you in or are you out? But they're like, no, you know, we want to just have a look and we're going to launch a probe and we'll see how things are going to go in a committee and eventually we'll get back to you on the answer, you know? And so when we look at worldly politicians and politics, and this is what these people who are coming to Jesus are really after. They are asking him, are you a political leader? Are you someone that's going to come and set us free? I, sounds like you're leading a revolution, but how are you going to set us free from this? And so he... He doesn't answer it in the same way, and they are amazed at his answer. They're not frustrated like we are when we listen to some, some of the politicians, but they are amazed at his answer. And so Jesus refuses to do three things. He refuses to step into what I would recall, uh, call political simplicity, okay, or political complacency, and I'll explain what that is, or political primacy. Now, it's like kind of big words, but let me explain to us. He, he refuses to step into political simplicity. He doesn't make things that simple. Because if we look at life and the cultures we live in and the world we live in, things are quite complex. And often we think that the answer is this political party needs to come. Or, or if, if only a Christian government could come into power, then things will be better for us. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's... He refuses to, to play that game because in, all, in essence, as we'll see in a moment, that really doesn't work. We see in Mark, um, you know, chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Jesus gives him this answer. He says, and they said to him, 
teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? They are asking him a yes or no question. But on the, um, they want him to choose one side or the other. And he is saying, I'm not going to play that game. You see, friends, when you and I have a relationship with Jesus, coming to know him, having a relationship and becoming a follower of Jesus, Jesus is very clear. He's very, it's very obvious. He says, follow me. He says, obey my commands. He says, love God and love your neighbor. Those things are clear. When it comes to us following Jesus, it's absolutely clear. But when it comes to our involvement in government and politics and, and even Jesus' view on those things, he, he's, he's not so clear. And he's not so clear for a reason. Because I don't know if you've ever realized this. I, I just recently, um, I've had the opportunity to, to drive in the car with two different groups of people. One is a group of educated, and I'm talking, this, this is uh, mixed, mixed races, okay? Educated, wealthy, well-off, connected business people. Speak about politics. Everyone raises the question or the concern. Something's got to change. Something has to happen. Someone must do something. Then I've also driven in the car with men who are common laborers, just workers, and they also, as we're trying to navigate all the potholes, hey, something's got to change. Something's got to change. Someone must do something about it. And it's amazing for me to see how, how different our answers are and our viewpoints. And as Christians, often I find that we divide ourselves upon these lines. Are you for or are you against? And if you're for then, and I'm against, then I, you and I cannot be together. We cannot be in unity with one another. Have you ever experienced that? I know this is not, a, this is not like, a, like the type of preach maybe you were hoping to hear this morning. But I realize as I look at this passage, I, we have to teach what Jesus is teaching. If the Bible addresses our politics and our approach to change and transformation or revolution in the world that we live in, then surely we should be able to learn from Jesus and then take on a very different approach. God wants you and I to see that he addresses both the reality. He, he doesn't leave us off the hook. He doesn't say to you that you and I that we can just disengage. Complacent, political complacency. Ah, oh, it's okay. I'll just not vote. I'll just won't be involved in any of the things. But he also says you and I shouldn't be so radically mobilized that we somehow create divisions among one another. And so Jesus is answering this particular question in that way. And that's why this question is revolutionary. But he also then addresses this reality around complacency and, and primacy. Now, why does he ask for a denarius? Obviously, they were asking him for why should they pay taxes. This denarius, what it represented, if you looked at the coin, they, they're available in museums today, many people have them. It had a, a number of things. It, first of all, it had the image of Caesar on it, that particular Caesar that was on it. Then it also had a particular inscription. And it said the, the following. So the, the image was of, of Tiberius Caesar. The inscription said, Tiberius Caesar, 
son of the god Augustus, Pontimus Maximus. What it basically says is Tiberius is the son of God and he's the high priest of Rome. Do you see here what's happening? All of a sudden, these two worlds are colliding. Political world, living in this world, being a part of this world, the systems of this world, coming against the, the kingdom of God, the son of God. Tiberius, the son of a fake God. Jesus, the son of the true God. And whose image is on it? Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, what is on his image, but give to God, you and I, are made in his image, and we are supposed to give to God what is, what is given, should be given to God. And we basically have this choice in this world. You and I will always have to choose. You have to choose. Are you choosing the world, or are you choosing Jesus? And when you, we and I interact with, with politics, or social issues, or challenges, or trials, or even just our health issues, or my family breakdowns, or my financial trials, Every single one of those things, I could choose. Either I'm going to go the way of the world and, and find my answers there, or I'm going to lean into Christ and realize that when I become one with Him, I see Him transform my life and the lives of others in a way that no political system, no leadership, no amount of, of prosperity or poverty would ever be able to deliver me from. Nothing, nothing will help me like Jesus and the gospel can. I really believe that's, that's, worthy, that's worthy of a bit of a clap, I think. And so basically what, what, is, what Jesus is saying as we look at this coin, he's saying you and I have a choice. Which one of the two are we going to, to follow? And he's saying to, to us, give to the government, give to those who rule, give to them that which is owed to them. But give to God your life and the people around you to be able to experience that. N.T. Wright is a well-known New Testament scholar, and he, he says the following about Jesus' response. What Jesus is doing is a masterful example of refusing to say, don't pay the taxes. This would mean revolt, so people are, can now have a, a decision or a, a, they're off the hook to say, well, we're not going to engage with the government. He, doesn't, he also doesn't say that you must just go with the system and be a nice tax-paying citizen. So I want you to hear this. I'm not saying that you and I shouldn't be involved and engaged with social issues, because sometimes we can do that. No, Jesus wants us to be set free from that. You see, the revolution that Jesus the Galilean is leading is very different to the revolution that Judas the Galilean is, um, is leading. Now, there were two groups of Jews that responded to these issues, these social challenges. The one was the Essenes. Have you ever heard of the Essenes? So basically what they were is they were a grouping of people that said, this world is evil. And the best thing for me to do is to remove myself as far as possible. So we're going to go live out in the desert. You've, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? That's, that's why we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, because the Essenes went and lived in the desert, hid their scriptures. They were wanting to become this monastic separatist group. I don't know, do you sometimes feel like that? I just want to get out of here. I just need to get out of here. That's going to be the answer. The best thing for me is just to disengage. Become holy. Oh man, no sin, sin can touch me. I'm so safe with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus and my family and my friends that think like me, look like me, act like me, speak like me, 
We're, we're so amazing. But what happens in those instances, friend? The world isn't changed. Do we still know about the Essenes today? Are they still a thing? No. Those groupings of people, every person that has ever isolated themselves from the world has actually left themselves poorer for it. Friends, you and I cannot approach our lives in this way. And this is what Jesus is speaking into. The second group was the zealots. What they said is actually military power, friends. Everybody that's believers, let's take up arms. We're going to take control. And obviously we've seen this happen over and over again. And you know what, friends, the political system works like this. Every single party, person, kingdom that has ever taken power by force, what do they end up doing inevitably? They oppress the very people that they deliberated themselves from. Do you, do you see that? It happened the same cycle. It doesn't matter who you put at the top. It's always going to happen that way. That's why we shouldn't just say, well, then it's a hell with the whole bad system. Nothing's going to change. No, no, no. You and I should engage then as citizens saying, Lord, how can we usher in your kingdom? How can we give back to God what is God's? Because when you and I, even though I may, might be involved in politics or in social realities or I've got a business, I'm giving work to people, even though I'm involved in all of those things, you and I are not affected by those things, but we actually bring about the transformation and the change that Jesus is calling for. And, and so the question I want you to, to ask is, so how do we have a revolution, the revolution that Jesus is talking about? How do we engage with that? Jesus basically asks him this question. He says, you know, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. Isn't it interesting that... For the Caesar who made this coin, this, this particular denarius was made out of his own personal wealth. So he basically gave out the wealth and said to people, in order to give, give tribute back to me, you give me back what is mine. And so for them to engage in this particular way of, of, of giving, they were basically just giving back to Caesar. And, and he's basically saying, I'm the king, and I'm the priest, and I'm the son of God. But Jesus has to ask for a coin. What king doesn't have a coin? What king doesn't have access to wealth? Jesus is coming with a revolution that's so countercultural. He doesn't want to take over because he understands he's not playing by the same rules. He has to ask for a coin. And, and the kingdom of God, when Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, in the Beatitudes, I'm going to read for us from, from uh, Luke chapter 6. He, he gives us this counter picture. I want you to, to see this. Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to 26. He says, And he lifted up his eyes to his, and his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are the, you who weep now, you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and then when they revile you, and they spurn your name as evil, as a, on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. The positive side of it, friends, even though you and I experience us, we, we might be poor, we might be in need, we might not have great standing in this world, 
we are blessed because of Jesus. But then he does give the counterpoint. He says, woe. He says, watch out to those of you who are rich, for you have, uh, you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. So their fathers did to the false prophets as well. Friends, the world has four values that it operates on. The world says, I want power, I want success, I want comfort, and I want recognition. I want power, I want success, comfort, and recognition. And the world is basically geared towards you and I being duped into our pursuit of those things. The first thing we tend to do is we live as if we absolutely need them and we pursue them at every end. So if you had to look at your career, your finances, your relationships even, the workplaces you find yourself, where you choose to live is very much based around this particular paradigm. We also make all of our life decisions. Why should I decide to move from one place to the other? Why should I take this job and not that one? Why should I be involved in this particular social reality there? Because that might give me a better connections. Why must I, can I even say, be a part of a particular church? Because this church is somehow going to help me be a bit more connected. I don't know. Maybe. But Jesus says, every revolution inside of the kingdom of this world operates on those four values. But his kingdom does not operate there. That is a very revolutionary idea. The fact that Jesus is able to say, I'm going to turn this kingdom upside down. You see, I'm a king that even if I had a coin, I'm giving it away. I'm a king, even if I had power, I'm giving it away. I'm a king who without, I, I'm without recognition. If anybody on the face of the planet ever experienced rejection, it would be Jesus. If anybody experienced living an anonymous life, it would be Jesus. He, he died separated, not just from his friends, his family, but actually from his heavenly father. The heavenly father had to turn his face away and reject Christ on the cross. Do you realize the significance of the kingdom of God and the revolution Jesus leads? It is so contrary to our understanding and experience. And we are so duped into this idea that we pursue the things of this world, that we miss out on the kingdom that Jesus brings. Have you ever seen a king like this? Have you ever seen someone that says the way up in the kingdom is to serve? To be the lowest of these is the one that would lead. Jesus spent time with the marginal. He spent time healing the sick. He spent time with those who were rejected, those who were sinners, those who no one wanted to spend any time with. He welcomes all of them into his kingdom. And the questions you might be asking is, but Gareth, how can anybody live like what you're saying right now? How can I live in a way that says, I'm going to embrace this kingdom that says I'm, I'm not being driven by these things. I want you to hear this. I'm not saying that having wealth and being well-fed and clothed is a bad thing. I'm not saying that we should all sell all, our, all of our stuff and just become paupers on a, on a street corner. I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying that if you and I are driven by these things, if, if we are so holding on to the image that's in the coin and not holding on to the image that is in Christ, when our identity is so found in the coin that we lose out on the identity that we have in God, then we've got issues, friends. When we're driven by these things at pursuit, because when we pursue those things, those four values, friends, they will never satisfy. I think I can go around the room. Some of you have tried. I've also. It does not satisfy us. Do you see it, friends? The gospel says, He took on our poverty. This is how we live it. We accept the gospel because Jesus became poor on our behalf. He was rejected on our behalf. And therefore, if we experience any poverty or rejection in any way in this life, then it's small. It's menial in comparison to what he experienced. Because we're not living for an earthly kingdom. We are living for a kingdom not of this world. You see, friends, every revolutionary comes to take power. And then somebody else topples them. That's the way of this world. But I, I love this um, just sermon that Tom Skinner um, shared once. He says... You know, he, he draws this parallel. He says, Jesus was in captivity while under judgment of Pontius Pilate. Who was in prison with him at the time? A man by the name of Barabbas. Who, who was Barabbas? He was a revolutionary. He had led an insurrection. That's why he was in prison. He had gotten a band of people together and said, we're going we're gonna to stick it to the Romans. We're going to take over. By force. That's why he was. And why were the authorities so keen to let him go? Because they knew they could stop him again. Every man-made re revolution says, take power by force, band a few people together, and try and topple. But every one of those revolutions are always stopped in the same way. The authorities knew. If he had to go and get a few guys together, start, start some riots, they just send in the National Guard, squash them, arrest him, maybe catch him, you know, in the middle of the night in his, in his room and, and execute him right then and there. That's over. No problem. Every single revolution has ever been dealt with in that way. What does Jesus do? He actually steps in and says, crucify me. And the authorities are thinking, we can stop his revolution because we can crucify him, we can bury him. But they don't know. Three days later, he rises from the dead. They don't know that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So they basically say the following. They wipe their hands. But he says, you know, to put Bar Barabbas to, um, to, to death puts an end to his revolution. But putting Jesus to death launches his revolution. And friends, today, it's my prayer that even as we're going into this coming week, and even as you're watching the news, and even if, as you're engaging in some of the challenges and trials, because the issues we face are real, friends, can we be a people that no longer yield ourselves to the image on the coin, but live as people that carry the very presence of God, and if you're involved in business or politics or school and education, in healthcare, wherever you put your feet, friends, Jesus is saying to you and I today, be my kingdom ambassadors. 
carry my revolution forward. My revolution says, bring in the lonely, the lost, the hurting. If someone is, is in need of healing, pray for them where, where, where they are. If someone speaks death, encourage them to begin to speak life. If there is a practical problem that you can solve, then you get it down on your knees and you solve the problem. You don't wait for somebody else. So one day somebody's going to do it. I wish somebody would. You and I, friends, many, many of the issues we want to see dealt with are within our hands to be able to accomplish. I'm trusting that God would so work in our church. Friends, we are this, this reality of what Billy shared with us and just praying into, we are a city on a hill. And we will not be duped into the thinking of this world that says to Jesus, which one are you going to choose? Which one's right? Which one's more important? Which one's more significant? Karl Marx may have said that religion is the opium of the people. It's the thing that puts people to sleep. But the gospel is the smelling salt that awakens people. You and I, when we bring the gospel into people's lives, into the city we live in, we begin to awaken people to the things that God wants to do and accomplish. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.